Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing one of the best performing investment trusts listed here in London, uh, and that's the Vietnam Holding Investment Trust with a ticker of VNH. And to do that, we're kindly joined by the chairman of Diamond Capital, which is the manager of Vietnam Holding, Craig Martin. Craig, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. A uh, real pleasure. Yeah, no, great to talk again. Regular listeners to the podcast will be familiar with VNH. Uh, we, we've welcomed Craig onto the podcast before, and he's also presented at our virtual conferences. Uh, so we're doing a podcast now in the last month of this year, in what's been a stellar year for the VNH Investment Trust. Uh, just looking here, Craig, at the uh, one-year performance. So that's a twelve-month return uh, to investors in terms of the share price. We're seeing a 95% move to the upside, and that makes VNH one of the best performing investment trusts here in London. There's very few that have returned more than that this year. It's actually been picked up by the AIC in one of their releases, and it's been highlighted as one of the top three funds, uh, investment trusts for them, Cray. We touched on there a stellar year of performance. Would you be able to just give us a, an overview before we go into the, to, to details, as we will do on the podcast, on why you feel that that's been included by the AIC and what's driving that performance for you? Well, yeah, well, that's great. It, it's been a tremendous year, hasn't it? Um, yeah. And I think that stock price increase, it's a couple of things, really. One is the underlying net asset value of the fund, the, the value of all of our holdings has gone up uh, a lot. Uh, this year to date, that's up more than 60%. And the second thing is that um, the discount between the net asset value and, and the share price has narrowed. Um, about a year ago, it was maybe 20% discount. It's now, I think today, close to 10%. So that's also uh, been a, a strong performing point. But the real key... A uh, clear point is the fact that the portfolio of stocks that we've invested in in Vietnam have done so well. They're, they've increased in our portfolio, as I say, by by more than 60%. And that's not just because the Vietnam stock market's done well, which of course it has, uh, but it's also that we have been able to outperform the Vietnam market uh, and indeed uh, all our competitors this year. So, you know, there's plenty of, of alpha in, in that return, probably 10 to 20 percent of alpha uh, this year, as well as underlying market beta, the market performance, so to speak. So the performance really comes down to simple things, good stock selection, uh, good portfolio construction, and also being nimble. The fact that uh, our team you know, were on the ground in Vietnam, actively engaged uh, with what is a fairly concentrated portfolio of holdings uh, and we're right size for the market. So we can move around, we can look where the opportunities are uh, and add, you know, when there's weakness and trim when we think, you know, there's good profit to be uh, taken off the table a little bit to put into other, other stocks. So simple things, really our portfolio, as I say, is concentrated. It's about 25 companies. We know them really, really well. Uh, markets done really well, but we've also been 
uh, pretty good at, at navigating the opportunities in Vietnam. So yes, what a what a terrific year and a, a strong performance for Vietnam Holding. We're very proud of the performance this year. Indeed, indeed, very strong performance, and we're going to be discussing some of the points uh, in more detail that has driven that performance. But I think we should probably kick things off uh, with that the retail investor. Craig, in Vietnam, and this is something that you covered in, in some research earlier on this year, and, and readers of UK Investor Magazine uh, most probably had, had seen that. Um, now, this, this is a big factor in, in driving the performance of the, of the stock market in Vietnam. Would you be able to give us a little bit more uh, in the way of background to what's happening there with the retail investor in Vietnam? Yeah, sure. Look, look to put it in context, um, the Vietnam stock markets are relatively young. They're you know, less than 20 years old. Uh, and when Vietnam Holding was launched 15 years ago, the market capitalization of, of the entire stock market in Vietnam was about $2 billion. Well, today it's more than $330 billion. So it's, it's come a long way in terms of its size. But also the participants in that market are evolving. So in the last year, there's been more than more than 1.3 million new stock or share accounts opened by domestic Vietnamese retail investors. So that's now a total of about 4 million uh, accounts. So 4 million out of a population in Vietnam of about 100 million. That's probably both a higher percentage and a higher absolute number of uh, domestic individual stock accounts than there are perhaps in the UK. So it's quite interesting that uh, the differences between, you know, perhaps the UK stock market, the more people uh, are familiar with and somewhere you know a little bit perhaps more exotic in, in emerging in Vietnam. Now of course the Vietnam stock market at 330 billion is probably about a tenth of the size of the UK stock market. So there's plenty of growth for, for a country like Vietnam to, to see its stock markets uh, go uh, much bigger. But what we were interested in the research was was th- what we called the rise of the retail investor. And they account for about 80 or maybe 75, 80% of, of the activity in the stock market today. Whereas in the UK, it's probably, I don't know, 15% would be the retail investors. So they're a real driving force. And, and we, we did, we commissioned some research to understand a little bit about, you know, what they're thinking uh, and what drives their thought process. I think it's fair to say they're learning. Uh, they're looking at new sources of information to help them uh, make the decisions about which companies to buy. And most of it's stock driven. They're not really buying, you know, funds or products themselves in the market. They're just buying individual companies. So uh, interesting to watch the, the consequence of this exciting growth, as I say, is the massive uh, drive in, in liquidity. So stock market today has a uh, most days uh, in recent months, a kind of daily liquidity of close to $2 billion, which is maybe four or five times, um, maybe six times where it was a few years ago, a couple of years ago. So it's a really dramatic change. Now, of course, with that um, big growth and in, in, in liquidity and lots of uh, market participants, you, you do get a little bit more volatility. Um, so it pays to be really close to what's happening on the ground in Vietnam, which we, you know, we're fortunate to have a good team doing that. So it's something we're going to keep an eye on. We've done a couple of waves of this research and we'll continue that next year. But it's interesting to see people learning quickly. There are They've got you know, digital apps to enable them to trade and also to get new sources uh, and build their portfolios and build their 
expertise. Some of them will get burned, as every investor you goes through that. You can't you can't pick winners as an, as a retail investor all the time, um, and they'll move from sector to sector. I'm sure. Uh, but it's very interesting for us to, to see and keep a track on this. And I think it's just an element also of, of how Vietnam itself has developed. People have got wealthier over the years. Um, per capita GDP is north of $3,000 where people are starting to you know, have more money to spend and also more money to invest. So it's an exciting time. Uh, it's volatile um, at times too, but it's an exciting time to uh, be uh, looking at this market and actively invested in the market. So just one point before we move on, uh, Craig, it's quite interesting in terms of percentage makeup of the Vietnamese uh, stock exchange. You said there's about 70% of the activities coming from retail clients. I mean, do you see that changing going forward with the introduction of more institutional money coming into the market? And and does that have the potential to further push uh, Vietnam equities on higher from here? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's an excellent point. It's a great observation. I, I, I think there is indeed a very bright future uh, because that local institutional investor market is only just starting. Uh, so in the UK, I, I guess insurance companies are probably 5% of the stock market. Uh, in Vietnam, it's a much smaller uh, level, um, but that will increase and other domestic institutional investors and pension plans will start to get involved. And, you know, domestic wealth management firms will probably establish themselves to serve products to the growing uh, investor base in Vietnam. So that will be definitely one big trend. That's more domestic institutional money, sticky money, long term money coming into the stock market. And then the second thing that will happen um, in, over the next few years is, is we expect Vietnam to get a kind of promotion to the Premier League, which is to come from the uh, the frontier index that it currently sits in, and Vietnam is about 30% of, of the MSCI frontier index, so it's the largest component uh, in the frontier index, to become a smaller component of a much larger universe, MSCI emerging index. And when that happens, I think that will also then bring in a lot more foreign institutional money into the market, which is relatively low percentage today. So I think there are a couple of um, you know big seismic shifts. One is... Uh, there's probably three. One is, you know, the maturing of the retail investor uh, as they get more experienced. Secondly, there's the rise probably of the domestic institutional investor. And that will take, you know, a decade plus to really uh, get to scale. And then there's the potential inclusion of Vietnam in the MSCI Emerging Market Index, which would, we think, trigger a lot more institutional foreign investors come to Vietnam. So, uh, a deepening and perhaps a broadening of, of, of the capital markets over the next uh, five to 10 years. Fantastic. So, Craig, now we're going to have to discuss this because it, it's always uh, a very important issue when you're looking at investments uh, at uh, the moment. And that's, of course, uh, COVID-19. Now, we spoke uh, at the beginning of this year and 2020 for Vietnam was a very strong year for them in terms of growth and, and GDP growth there and in fact probably one of the um, you know, largest uh, growth figures we saw on a global basis coming from um, Vietnam and you know that was obviously reflected in the stock market. We have had a strong year of course as we mentioned uh, in Vietnamese equities but it hasn't been plain sailing has it Craig in terms of 
what's been happening on on the ground in terms of COVID-19. There there was very low figures and we, of course, saw a spike uh, in the middle of uh, 2021. Uh, Equities have since recovered uh, since then. That was mainly around the Delta variant. How do you see the situation playing out with the new Omicron variant in Vietnam? Look, yeah, great question. I mean, COVID continues to challenge and, and baffle and, and worry everyone, doesn't it, globally? No no one's cracked it yet. Uh, and as you say, just to, to revert to your first point, absolutely, last in 2020, Vietnam was a pandemic winner. Its GDP growth of just over 3% was the highest in the world, I think. So it was a remarkable uh, position. And then to come into 2021, started well, and then Delta uh, came along with a, a lot more perhaps virility, um, and kind of really caused problems uh, for for several parts of of Southeast Asia, including Vietnam. And Vietnam, uh, so the summer, had to go into a fairly pretty rigorous strict lockdown, which did have a a big impact on on the economy. It probably knocked maybe 10% off of Vietnam's GDP uh, in terms of the impact. And so this year, in terms of economic growth, um, it's probably similar to last, maybe 2%, 3%. So that might sound a lot for, you know, for say, a Western uh, country in, in Europe, uh, but Vietnam's used to kind of printing 6 6.5% GDP growth as it's done over the last 20, 30 years. So that probably won't come back till 22. We'll be at that level of growth. So um, the economic growth has, you know, has been hit by COVID, as you mentioned, COVID, the Delta variant. I think one of the, the reasons it had such a big impact this year in Vietnam was until recently, Vietnam had a fairly low level of vaccination. Now, that's not because people didn't want the vaccine. It was that Vietnam, as with other countries uh, in Asia, were kind of behind the queue to get the vaccines. US and and UK and Europe kind of first dibs uh, on the vaccine. So Vietnam had to wait. And so when COVID-19, the Delta variant, was really um, rife in the community, vaccination levels were very low. So you had to lock down and people had to kind of stay at home, very strict uh, rules around that. But Vietnam was able to then secure supply of vaccine and has been doing a remarkable job in terms of getting jabs into people's arms. So much so that it hopes to have about 100 percent of the po- of the adult population double vaccinated over the next two weeks by the end of this year, by the end of December, up from you know 10 percent just a few months ago. So that's remarkable. It's more than. You know, 1.5 million vaccinations a day, which I think are numbers that the UK would love to be able to achieve now as they want to roll out the boosters. So I think a couple of things, particularly with Omicron, uh, there haven't been any reported cases yet in Vietnam. I think it's just a question of time. Uh, as we're seeing in other parts of Asia, Omicron kind of turn up and appear. But I think the fact that the vaccinations are now fresh in people's arms in Vietnam should perhaps give some uh, defence um, boosters will start and, and will be rolled out, I think, next year as well. But uh, most people are, are kind of up to date, the adult population and, and also some of the kids now in terms of, of the vaccine. So that should should help. Um, obviously, none of us are experts in in, in how uh, Omicron kind of evolves and, and other variants. But I think the Vietnamese uh, people and authorities are well prepared. And uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, that as virus mutates and what have you in the, in the future, there'll also be uh, vaccines that, that protect against that. So 
I think Vietnam's caught up in terms of vaccinate, vaccination program. And just by matter of timing, I suspect that uh, the vaccines are much fresher, if that's the right word, uh, in people's arms. And so hopefully people are, are, are better uh, defended uh, against uh, the Omicron virus as it comes through. But no one's going to be um, taking this lightly. Uh, but Vietnam is prepared to open and it's opening up its uh, borders to international travel um, starting in the next couple of weeks. So with good measures and a high level of vaccination, you know, hopefully um, for 22, uh, it won't be as much of an issue as it was in 21. Indeed. It's interesting to hear that they're going to be opening up the, the, the borders soon because that really does get the economic wheels in motion there. So definitely an interesting story to see how that pans out in, in Vietnam. Now, moving on, Craig, now this is something that's not just limited to Vietnam or, or indeed the, the UK, of course. It is a global issue at the moment. And that's the supply chain disruptions that we're seeing. Now, of course, Vietnam is, is now a major player in, in global manufacturing. But we did see some comments in the, the US press recently uh, about some factory closures in Vietnam. What does that look like in terms of the, the supply chain uh, issues in Vietnam? And, and, how, and where does Vietnam fit into the, to the global picture at the moment? Well, look, over the last, say, 20 years or so, Vietnam's really emerged as a key part of the global supply chain. Uh, and the government actually wants that to go even further. They really want Vietnam to be a critical component of the world's uh, supply chains. 20 years ago, you know, Vietnam was exporting garments and, uh, and raw materials. And now today it's you know, exporting those as well, but it's also ex exporting high-tech goods. But it's such a large player um, in many of those segments that, of course, it does have a, there, there is an impact um, in terms of global supply chain because of what happens in Vietnam. So, for example, in, in the um, uh, running shoes uh, industry, in the footwear industry, which I think those headlines you, you mentioned uh, were about, I think Nike, uh, four out of every 10 pairs of Nikes is made in Vietnam because of great uh, natural advantages of Vietnam, good labor supply, good logistics, uh, good um, kind of trade environment, a lot of experience in manufacturing for export. Uh, but when 40% of your supply comes from one country, and if that country has a lockdown, which Vietnam had over the summer, that, that can cause issues. So there are some temporary dislocations to the supply chain. I think pretty much sorted out. Most of the factories are, are pumping again, and I think you know, many of the workers are, are back. It was more of an issue, as I say, in the kind of fast fashion and, and the footwear. But where Vietnam's really been expanding over many years now is in, in the high-tech industry many mobile phones, laptops, accessories are made in Vietnam, and that's going to increase over the years. And that's much more kind of sticky, um, st sticky kind of manufacturing, which is kind of less at risk of if there's a supply shock, people saying, right, let's move our factory from Vietnam to Madagascar or wherever the next place seems to be, which is possible in garments and footwear, but it's not possible in you know, semiconductor, semiconductor assembly and, uh, and uh, IT hardware. So uh, Vietnam's moving up the value chain, but it is a critical part of the, the world supply chain. Um, so it, you know, it's something to keep a very close eye on. What we have noticed actually over the last couple of years is more manufacturers moving to Vietnam. Some high-tech manufacturers doubling down what they're doing in Vietnam in terms of semiconductor assembly and test, um, in terms of building... Um, these plants that are producing tablets and, and, and computers and equipment. 
And that's partly because of you know, the trade tensions over the last few years, say, between China and the US, uh, but also people wanting to perhaps um, you know, concentrate their supply chain, shorten their supply chains. And, and with Vietnam's capabilities, it has attracted a lot more interest. So um, it, it's, it's something to keep, a, keep an eye on. But I, I say, I think Vietnam firmly wants to be established as a, as a very open trading nation. It's close to $700 billion of, of trade this year, which on a per capita basis makes it one of the most open economies in the world. And in terms of a percentage of GDP also, it's probably the third uh, most uh, open economy in the world. So government and everyone really wants to you know, continue to grow that. And they'll do everything you know, that they humanly can to make sure that you know, Vietnam uh, is doing its part in the global supply chain. Fantastic. So, Craig, now let's start drilling down into the portfolio. We just mentioned manufacturing there, uh, but what investment themes are you seeing in the portfolio which have performed particularly well? And how do you see that performing next year? Is it the same themes that you're seeing this year uh, you feel will do well next year as well? Or do you see a development in the economy there? And that's something maybe you're positioning for. Well, look, I think our core investment themes remain the same, to be honest. So the domestic consumption story, You've got 100 million people increasingly wealthy wanting to consume stuff. That's a, a multi-decade story. So that theme is very robust. I think the other themes, industrialization, again, that's a, a multi-decade journey that Vietnam's on in terms of becoming a, a, a manufacturing center. And then if people want to invest in Vietnam to manufacture for global export, that's going to continue. And then the urbanization, which is, again, a structural shift as people perhaps move out of the countryside and want to come and work in the cities and the infrastructure needs to support them and, and the housing and, and the modern retail environments. These things are very long-term themes. And of course, all of that's underpinned by uh, a growing financial system. So banks and stockbrokers and, and that, that kind of thing as well. So the, the investment themes, no change. I think what we look at is how we kind of course correct our portfolio construction within that those investment themes and, and within our stock selection. So many of our top names are, are the same this year as they've been in, in, in previous years. But within some sectors, we have positioned the portfolio well um, for the kind of changes within the in the short term. So a year or so ago, a year ago, we increased our banking exposure from relatively small weight of about eight to ten percent up to as high as thirty percent. And those banks perform really, really well. You know, net interest margin strong, credit growth strong, uh, and able to leverage their distribution networks. And so we saw tremendous, you know, almost 100% gains in in number of our banking stocks up until perhaps the you know mid part of this year. Uh, fortunately, we, we took some profit in in, in those names, and, and actually in the last couple of uh, quarters, partly due to lockdown and partly due to you know provisioning, the banks taking more provisions. Um, you know, they, they came off a bit, but that was then an opportunity for us to look at maybe adding selectively back to them. So it's having these themes and having the, the names and the stocks we know well, but looking to you know, position into those um, as conviction over developments in, in the sector and also under sp specific stocks uh, changes in it and, and improves. So I think banks, again, might have a good 22 um, as you know, the economy is expected to pick up again in 22. Uh, and we get back on this kind of six and a half percent 
GDP uh, growth tra trajectory. Also, as the government starts to enact more public spending, that's probably going to be good for a number of different sectors. Um, and some of the infrastructure has a multiplier effect on, on the economy. So we're interested to look at that. And then the export, as, as the world starts to continue want to, to consume more as it comes out of, uh, of COVID, particularly the US and, the, uh, and Europe, we're seeing you know, an increased demand for goods that come through Vietnam, either originated in Vietnam or they're finished and uh, processed and, uh, and assembled in, in Vietnam. So for us, a good way to play that is through logistics, through ports, uh, air, air freight, but also domestic sea freight and international sea freight. So they're some of the companies that we've been uh, adding to. We also think some of the real estate companies will, will, will do well. Again, some of those are looking at industrial real estate. So that plays to the manufacturing for export story, um, as well as domestic kind of residential real estate. As you know, people have been saving their money, they haven't been spending a lot of money um, but maybe next year will be the time when they're looking to to invest or expand uh, either their property portfolio if if, if they're uh, a firm that invests in in, in that or in, if an individual in terms of making the decision to uh, uh, move out of mum's house and, and and have their own apartment in Ho Chi Minh City or in Hanoi. So we think there'll be more activity also in the in the re real estate sector next year. So the key drivers, I think, will be economic recovery uh, through the country, uh, increased uh, domestic expenditure in terms of public infrastructure, and that has a very powerful knock-on effect. And that should also lead to um, improved uh, prospects for some of the retailers as well. So um, same, same um, in terms of our key investment themes, and then just navigating um, perhaps into areas that we think will benefit well through growth in, in 22. And we're always on the lookout for new names as well, new companies that are emerging, getting um, moving up our kind of due diligence radar in terms of uh, how they're doing as um, in their growth, in their business plan execution. Uh, perhaps companies that we've been tracking for many months, in some cases years, that perhaps they weren't quite ready for us in terms of their governance or their uh, approach to uh, reporting on, on climate or on the environment, but maybe they're starting to get a little bit uh, more adept at that. And so we'll work with those those companies. So again, I think we'll keep a fairly concentrated portfolio next year, probably you know, 25, 26 names. Many of them will be the same that we have today, but we you know, may alter our, our portfolio weights um, as, as the, the economic recovery uh, continues um, through 22. Craig, before we move on, there's an interesting point I just want to to, to pick up on, and, and that's you know the, the larger theme in Vietnam at the moment, and and it's the theme of the, the middle classes. Uh, I was listening into a presentation earlier on this morning discussing India, and one of the big themes there was was the middle classes and servicing the, the middle class. I mean, how important is that in Vietnam at the moment in in terms of providing uh, you know retailing consumption? Uh, elements to the economy or is it still a case that really the big driver in Vietnam is the more export driven manufacturing side of things and when do you see that the middle classes in Vietnam be, become one of the biggest drivers in the domestic economy? Well I, th I think we're at that inflection point now so on a per capita GDP basis Vietnam's just over three thousand dollars which typically is where you see the domestic consumption 
really increase ra rapidly. And, um, and we've seen that happen in places like Thailand, and we saw that in, even in China, that when th those economies got to that kind of $3,000 per capita mark, they saw a, a rapid increase in, in domestic consumerism. So you know, we think Vietnam will follow that playbook. So I think now is a really interesting time for companies that are well positioned, perhaps as omni-channel. So not only physical retail, but digital retail as well. So I think it's going to be very interesting um, next few years in that domestic con consumer story. So actually, many of our investments are domestically oriented. They're either um, domestic consumption plays or domestic banks in Vietnam, or there's some of the business to business linkages that support that manufacturing for export. So Vietnam is very fortunate to have kind of two stories. One is, you know, it's become this tremendous location, manufacturing for export, attracted, you know, record levels of foreign direct investment, building that up. So that's very strong. And that those exporters obviously earn hard currency for the country. And then the other story is 100 million people, young, digitally active, hungry to do better. And they, you know, they're going to be consumers of, of the future and a strong part of, uh, of Asia's growth. But I think the interesting thing there is it's going to be a digital future. So Southeast Asia is probably going to have a you know a trillion dollar internet economy uh, by 2030 or so, and and Vietnam is 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 a key part of that. It's in fact I think it's it's the you know second fastest growing digital digital economy in in Southeast Asia. So domestic consumption you, you mentioned to India, yes, that, that that story is going to play out in Vietnam as it did in Thailand and as it did in China, but I think it's also going to be digitally accelerated and Vietnam has pretty good digital infrastructure. And so I think it's it's going to perhaps grow faster than many of those other countries did when they got to that level of, uh, of per capita GDP. So yeah, the consumer story, I think, is is a really interesting one to keep a close eye on. And, and that leads into other areas of you know, when you've got um, increased wealth, you know, people looking at long-term savings, that looks at domestic institutional investors, and that feeds back to the stock market. So, you know, I, I think it's a it's a it's a very positive kind of ecosystem that is generated when you see that domestic consumerism really start to to rise. And I think, as I say, I think we're at that inflection point in Vietnam. Thank you. So, Craig, now let's just take things back and look at the the bigger picture. Now, this podcast is being recorded uh, a couple of days before we're having key meetings from the Federal Reserve and the and the Bank of England. Uh, so that's something that's going to be particularly important for frontier markets uh, such as Vietnam, emerging markets, in terms of what they do with interest rates going forward. Um, it's inevitable that they're going to hike rates at some point. Whether they do it later on this week, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But what does a, a cycle of, of higher rates mean uh, for Vietnam if the Fed decides to start kicking things off and, and increase rates in the, in, in the face of rising inflation that we're seeing? Well, look, I think you're right to, to, to raise that question. I think inflation is, is, is a big issue in, in the US and, and Europe, perhaps less of an issue in Asia, uh, Vietnam and other parts of Asia. Kind of inflation is not the, the big issue yet. Um, it's under control. Uh, the economies have perhaps come out in a different, perhaps a, in a stronger way uh, than others in terms of how they've come through the, the pandemic. Now, that's not to say a country can escape that. You can import inflation, can't you? Uh, you know, if you have to import all your energy needs, like some countries, then you'll be captive to that inflation. Vietnam, you know, half of its energy is 
kind of domestically oriented. That's either through um, hydropower or it's through more recently renewables, solar and wind power, and also some domestic sources of, of oil and gas. So we don't think it's going to import in inflation. So rising inflation in the US and Europe, be it less than transitory as was perhaps hoped earlier in the year, is something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's going to be the major issue and story for Vietnam, however. The point you mentioned is a very interesting one around rising interest rates. It would seem inevitable that you know US rates will, will, will go up and, and probably uh, other Western economies uh, similarly. In, uh, in much of Asia, we're seeing a, still a, a monetary policy, which is to provide kind of easing to, to the economies in, in, in China and in, in, in Vietnam. And also, you know, domestic savings is high, so uh, interest rates um, are probably going to remain relatively low and are kind of accommodative for an expanding economy without the, the need, the concerns around inflation. I don't think there's going to be like a, a, a taper tantrum that we saw several years ago when when the US kind of came out of its post-2008 um, kind of quantitative easing. We saw you know, some money come out of emerging markets, uh, out of you know, Indonesia and, and other places, and the currencies weakened considerably uh, or weakened as a result. We're not seeing that threat so much uh, at this stage. And I think that's in, in part that... Actually, the, see, the stock market in Vietnam is, is much more, as I've said, a, a domestic story today. So it's less at risk of people saying, oh, I'm going to pull my money out of the Vietnam stock market. And I'm going to put it in the bank account in the U.S. because interest rates are high. I think if people are going to do that, money's probably already left. So I, I don't think, I think Vietnam's got a relatively strong um, economy to kind of um, not be so impacted by the U.S. kind of, taking uh, interest rates up and, and stopping its kind of uh, qualitative kind of quantitative uh, easing uh, program. So that's probably not a risk. And there was a study, I think, in The Economist a couple of weeks ago that said out of 40 emerging markets, uh, Vietnam is less vulnerable than most. I think it was uh, one of the least vulnerable to, to what the US might do in that regard, partly because it's got you know, record reserves, um, good, good trade um, surplus, and it's done very well um, in terms of economic growth over several years, including these two pandemic years. So something to keep a close eye on, but we don't think it's going to be lead to a kind of sucking sound of money coming out of Vietnam to, to the US. Um, actually, the other way around, I think people are going to be waiting to see how countries like uh, Vietnam um, continue their modernization. And in a few years time, if Vietnam's part of the emerging market index proper, I think some of that money will, will start to flow back into places like Vietnam. Yes, very interesting what you say there about the, the taper tantrum. And obviously post-2008, uh, you know, it was the first time that the market had to experience the reduction in quantitative easing. And of course, there's volatility. But I think the second time around that we're starting to see it now, this is something... Uh, that the market has very much uh, seen before, and it's been very well signposted by the Federal Reserve. So expect to see uh, volatility, if any, there uh, significantly reduced compared to what we've seen in the past. So, Craig, let's we obviously have to discuss uh, one of um, well, Vietnam's uh, neighbour to the north in China. Uh, what's the relationship looking like there? Of course, you know, there's lots of issues at the moment with the Chinese property market, 
that they're constantly grabbing headlines. There is concerns there about the Chinese economy. Of course, they've recently reduced their R rate there to inject some liquidity uh, into the Chinese economy. But if we start to see things deteriorate, Craig, what, what's the risk to Vietnam, if any? Or could they actually be a beneficiary from a slowing China? Well, I think it, it, it's probably more of a risk than um, the US interest rate rises that we just mentioned. Uh, partly because you know Vietnam does export a lot of uh, product to China. Um, is a very significant exporter. However, much of that um, export does end up in the US and other markets. So perhaps it, some of it gets finished in China and, and, and sent elsewhere. So that'd be less of uh, a risk from a China kind of slowdown. But, you know, it's something that people keep a very close eye on, particularly, I think, in recent months around the Chinese real estate and, you know, perhaps some pockets of slowdown there. Uh, you know, could that see decreased demand for for some goods from Vietnam? Yes, it could. Uh, but a lot of those goods, I say that you know they might be destined ultimately for for other markets. And China is only part of the mix of Vietnam's export base. So I think I don't think there's anything um, to uh, worry around. Often people say, well, you know, China has a border with Vietnam, and you know, geopolitical risks around that. I think that's less of an issue. I think it's much more to do with the impact on, on the world. Of of a you know if, if China is having a you know, bit of a, an ec- economic slowdown, albeit probably in the, in the short term, so it's something certainly to keep an eye on uh, in terms of the nature and type of goods that Vietnam's exporting uh, to China. And Vietnam c- keeps a close eye generally on what happens in in China. They've they've got many similarities in how you know China's done such a fantastic job lifting hundreds of millions of people out of poverty as Vietnam's done. And so the policies and tools that China adapts and, and tries out Vietnam, you know, probably keep a close eye on and pick the ones that do well for its economy and its people and perhaps not do the ones that turn out not to be so so positive. So I, I think it's early to, to tell, but I, I would say it's probably more of a more of a concern. You know, a China slowdown is probably more of a concern at the moment than you know, what happens in, in the Fed uh, over the next couple of quarters. Craig, let's now talk about ESG. I mean, it's a significant investment theme over the past uh, couple of years. We've recently had COP26 here in the UK. The Vietnamese Prime Minister was in attendance there. But let's focus now on on the E part of uh, ESG and the environmental impact on Vietnam. I mean, would you have to give listeners an insight into what Vietnam is doing about climate change and, and what is the risk of climate change to Vietnam? Well, look, I think over the, over the years, people in Vietnam have become much more aware of climate and climate-related issues, certainly. Um, Vietnam has a lot of uh, important rivers and those rivers flow through several countries before they get to Vietnam. And so kind of water level changes uh, are obvious when, when, when those change. And and also Vietnam in several parts has low-lying cities, which would be perhaps at risk from uh, rising sea levels. And also people are worried about um, you know, global warming and what that has in terms of agriculture and water levels, and, as well as things such as you know, plastic waste and pollution that are visible on, on uh, Vietnam's beaches. They were once pristine. Some of them still have a lot of rubbish on them now, to be honest. But I think Vietnam has taken a very strong and brave step. So 
Vietnamese prime minister went to COP26 in, in Glasgow and said, look, you know, you've got to be fair to countries like Vietnam. We didn't cause the pollution. Uh, we've only kind of been industrializing for the last 20, 30 years. We're not to blame for, for the, you know, the temperature rise so far and the level of carbon uh, in, in the atmosphere. And we're not a large uh, polluter on a per capita basis. However, we want to step up and do our part. And Vietnam committed itself to a net zero by 2050. And in part, took a very, very brave step of saying, look, we're going to get there by um, you know, limiting uh, the expansion of coal-fired power. And we're going to kind of eliminate that um, o- o- over the, the years to come. So a very brave step for a, a developing, emerging country like Vietnam, perhaps put some more, more developed economies to, to, to shame who have not been so brave and come out and look to, to, to take those measures. So Vietnam, as a consequence of that, is going to push much more to a renewable-based future. A few years ago, renewables other than hydro, which is, accounts for you know, 40% of the energy mix, but other renewables like wind and solar were almost nothing. Uh, but they've become a much more important part of the mix, maybe 20% of Vietnam's kind of theoretical uh, energy capacity, and that could go higher up to you know seventy, eighty percent by twenty fifty, and that might be through uh, intertidal and, and deep sea wind, as well as rooftop solar and other sources of renewable energy. Uh, so Vietnam's really taking a, a brave step and committing itself to um, a clean, a renewable uh, electricity generation uh, model. Uh, and that's, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's brave, but it's also going to create a lot of uh, opportunity for investors that want to invest in, in renewable energy as well. So everyone's aware of the E in ESG now. It wasn't the case um, until you know, the last few years. And for uh, Vietnam Holding, we've been a very strong adherent to good ESG and responsible investing for, for many years. We were a very early adopter of United Nations principles for responsible investing over 11 years ago. And, you know, don't sit on our laurels. We want to do more, measure more and report more on our activities, but also help our portfolio companies in how they look at what their impact and their policies are around E, particularly around the climate, as well as continuing our advocacy and work on on governance, on the G in the ESG. So, uh, we, we look, we think on, on both measures, they're risk measures, i.e., if you have good ESG, that's a that can protect the downside, um, helps you perhaps avoid some nasty traps and surprises. And also, if you're able to invest in companies that are really looking at being you know, responsible themselves, that leads to kind of sustainable business practices that I think over the long time will be rewarded. And so that can uh, help drive you know, strong long-term compound returns. If you find good companies and, and they're able to really grow in a sustainable manner. So, it's a very interesting time. Uh, and yeah, this year's been all about the climate, hasn't it, in terms of COP26. Let's hope uh, the world doesn't forget that and, and continues and we see the implementations of that. But Vietnam certainly laid out a very strong marker for what it wants to achieve. And in fact, in its kind of the next five to 10 years of development, Vietnam has said, yes, look, we want to be a very key part of the global supply chain. We want to be a modern industrialized uh, economy. And we want our people to become uh, much more wealthier, middle-income consumers, effectively. But we want to do it on a green growth strategy. 
so I think it's a very going to be a very interesting uh, next few years in Vietnam, and we think that will generate a lot of opportunity for investors. Indeed, particularly exciting future for Vietnam and all those points you've just uh, outlined there, particularly on that ESG side of things. It looks like they're really integrating it into the the economy there. And the the opportunities that you mentioned there for investors in terms of the green energy side of things is certainly an interesting point and one that I'll personally be watching very closely. So, Craig, some great points there. Um, But to finish things off now, we've obviously looked at what's been happening in the Vietnamese economy, you've obviously touched on what you're going to be doing uh, within the portfolio going forward in 2022. But you know, just to summarise for listeners, what are your expectations from the Vietnamese economy for 2022, and what does that mean for the VNH Investment Trust? Well, look, I think Vietnam has every chance of getting back next year uh, onto its multi-decade growth rate of somewhere between six and seven percent. Uh, GDP growth. And then that will be the driver of many of the sectors we're invested in. So we're looking at kind of corporate earnings per share next year of around you know, 20%, maybe 25% across our portfolio. Could could even be a little bit higher. So I think that bodes well. Uh, we're also in a market that's not uh, expensive from a PE basis. And we're looking at something like a, a portfolio on 11 times earnings next year. So that gives a good buffer uh, and we think good growth. And if we just do more of the same, which is find good companies, um, simple businesses that we can understand and then find management teams that really are able to execute on that, then uh, that's all, all, all good news and, uh, and bodes well for strong, uh, strong returns uh, next year. So obviously Vietnam's part of the global economy and increasingly so. So we need to see what happens as we've discussed earlier. But for the Vietnamese economy next year, it looks as if it should be um, pumping uh, again. Uh, and we think the themes that we've chosen and the portfolio companies we have and those we'll add to next year will be very well positioned to, to benefit from that economic recovery and strong resumption onto Vietnam's growth trend. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So uh, listeners of the podcast, do check out the notes to this podcast because there'll be a link through to the VNH website as well as a recent video presentation that Craig kindly took part in in one of our virtual conferences and there'll be some slides of an investor presentation to download there so do check that out. Craig thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, My pleasure thanks ever so much for your time. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.